It looked to many in Washington like the ultimate silver bullet, a Czech intelligence report alleging a meeting in Prague between an Iraqi intelligence agent and Mohammed Atta, the ringleader of the 9-11 hijackers. If true, it would be the smoking gun, proof of a connection between the Iraqi regime of Saddam Hussein and Al-Qaeda. Not for nothing did advocates of invading Iraq embrace the story, no one more so than Vice President Dick Cheney, who declared on national TV that the Atta in Prague story was, quote, pretty well confirmed. But was it? In April 2002, while the Bush administration was polishing its case for war, Newsweek magazine published a story debunking the claim. It reported that Czech intelligence officials had quietly acknowledged to the U.S. that they may have been mistaken about the whole thing that the FBI and CIA could find no evidence that the Al-Qaeda terrorists had even been in the country at the time of the alleged meeting. Quote, we looked at this real hard because obviously if it were true, it would be huge, one senior U.S. law enforcement official told the magazine, but nothing has matched up. This week, as controversy continues about another shaky report about an alleged meeting in Prague, this one supposedly involving Trump's personal lawyer Michael Cohen and Russian intelligence officials, we'll look back at the earlier Atta in Prague story and ask some pertinent questions. What is it about the capital of the Czech Republic that causes it to keep popping up as a center of intrigue in American political scandals? And what is it about our political and journalistic culture that causes many to embrace these Prague stories even when there is little evidence to support them. That's our subject on today's Buried Treasure. There is absolutely no collusion. I didn't make a phone call to Russia. I have nothing to do with Russia. Everybody knows it. People have got to know whether or not their president's a crook. Well, I'm not a crook. I told the American people I did not trade arms for hostages. My heart and my best intentions still tell me that's true, but the facts and the evidence tell me it is not. I did not have sexual relations with that woman. The British government has learned that Saddam Hussein recently sought significant quantities of uranium from Africa. How many times do I have to answer this question? Can you just say Russia yes no is a ruse. I'm Michael Isikoff, Chief Investigative Correspondent for Yahoo News. And I'm Dan Clydman, Editor-in-Chief of Yahoo News. You know, Clydman, modesty prevented me from identifying the author of that Newsweek story that debunked the Atta in Prague story, but it was in fact me. And I think that's worth noting, if only because of all the shit I've taken out in the Twitterverse for raising questions about the Michael Cohen in Prague story. So uh, there is a sort of events coming full circle here. Well, there are some interesting substantive issues to talk about relating to uh, this story and how these kinds of stories take on a life of their own, particularly during uh, partisan times. But before we get to that, I do want to say that I think part of your legacy as one of uh, this country's great investigative reporters is going to be the debunker of conspiracy theories uh, <laughs> that are set in Prague. And I kind of wonder, right. I kind of wonder, Mike, if you had been, I don't know, but an I, achievement award well, I was going to say, if you had been doing the great work that you do now in the 19th century, if you might not have been the person who first debunked the uh, 
so-called Protocols of the Elder of Zion, which was the infamous anti-Semitic hoax about this cabal of rabbis congregating in the Prague Cemetery to plot world domination. I think you would have debunked that story. Well, you know, it's interesting you should bring that up because in many ways, the Protocols of the Elders of Zion was the precursor for the uh, internet research agency, the Russian troll farm that interfered in the 2016 election. The Protocols of the Elders of Zion were crafted by the Russian intelligence service at the time, the Okhrana. And it was a uh, phony hoax put out there by Russian intelligence to whip up anti-Semitism inside Russia. Imagine if the Russian intelligence agency back then only had access to Facebook. All right. Okay. All right. Look, we're digressing because we're supposed to be talking about Prague and Mohammed Atta in Prague. So I want to do this in two parts. First, sort of dissect the story about Atta in Prague and how it unraveled. And then we could uh, show the parallels or lack thereof in the Michael Cohen in Prague story. So let's start out. Mohammed Atta in Prague, I remember well after, in the days after the 9-11 attacks, there were these stories about a Czech report that had Mohammed Atta five months before the attacks meeting with an Iraqi intelligence agent named El Ani. This was quickly embraced by the uh, Bush White House, particularly Dick Cheney, who goes on Meet the Press, talks about it, and it takes on a, as you said before, a life of its own. This seems to be the real dynamite proof that the Bush administration can make to show this connection between Saddam and Osama bin Laden. Yeah, and I remember actually, I think it probably was right around the time you wrote this story, which I think you said was that April of 2000? April of 2002. So in April of 2002, I actually was on a trip with Dick Cheney. He was going around the Arab world uh, lobbying Arab dictators and potentates uh, to get on board with the American invasion of Iraq. And we're sitting there in some U.S. base in the Sinai in Egypt, And uh, I actually got to ask Cheney a question, and I asked him about the alleged Atta meeting, and he uh, said it's still a live issue and, and they're pursuing it. But the reality is that by this time, the CIA, at the request of Cheney, had done extensive investigations into this story. And let me just read to you what John McLaughlin said, who at the time he was deputy director of the CIA, and he talked about this uh, this story later. He said, well, on something like the Atom meeting in Prague, we went over that every which way from Sunday. We looked at it from every conceivable angle. We peeled open the source, examined the chain of acquisition. We looked at photographs. We looked at timetables. We looked at who was where and when. It is wrong to say that we didn't look at it, blah, blah, blah. But despite all of that, this story persisted. And it says something about the proclivity, I think, of partisans to jump on rumors, raw intelligence, rumint, as the spies call it, because it fits some preconceived narrative and aligns with their ideology. And I think this clearly happened in the case of Atat's supposed meeting in Prague, and to some extent, maybe happening with Michael Cohen, although I think there's still more reporting to be done on that. 
Yeah, well, we'll get to Cohen in a moment. But yes, McLaughlin was right. They did. Both the CIA and the FBI investigated this intensely because of the interest from the Bush White House. And, you know, among the problems were the source for this Czech intelligence report was a uh, Arab student in Prague who apparently had had some dealings with Elani and saw him with a guy he thought looked like Atta or photos of Atta he had seen in the uh, in the newspaper after the 9-11 attacks, when the CIA actually got the photos from the Czechs, they examined it. They had their photo specialists looking at it up and down and concluded this looked nothing like Atta. Uh, He was heavier. He was bulkier. It was not the guy who uh, everybody knew as uh, Mohammed Atta. And furthermore, the FBI was able to trace Atta's movements throughout the month of the alleged meeting, April of 2001. He was in Virginia Beach, uh, most likely uh, the FBI concluded doing some surveillance for a possible attack on naval operations uh, in that city, and then was in Florida as part of the planning for 9-11. So some, when they got the CIA's and the FBI's analysis of this, some like Paul Wolfowitz said, well, it was still possible he could hop on a flight and fly to Prague and come back the next day and be in Florida or Virginia. Virginia Beach, but it seemed increasingly improbable that such a meeting ever took place, although the Cheneyites would not give in on this. And I remember, I believe it was that uh, December, after I wrote the story, being at some holiday party at the uh, apartment of the late Christopher Hitchens and getting into a uh, a really intense debate with Scooter Libby, Cheney's chief of staff, about the Atta in Prague story. And we went at it for about 15 minutes. Everybody else got bored, but Libby and I uh, were still slugging it out on Atta uh, in Prague. The, the, good old, <laughs> the good old days of getting into fights uh, at, yeah. at uh, with the neocons at uh, Christopher Hitchens home. I actually remember being at a, a some party at Ben Bradley's house and I was at the door and Paul Wolfowitz walked in and uh, was introduced to me. Of course, I knew him and he said, I don't think I should shake your hand. <laughs> so, <laughs> you think so, you know, you think it's chilly now between the press and, uh, yeah. and, and the administration. It was pretty chilly back then, too. Right, right. All right. Well, let's talk about the uh, the parallel with uh, Michael Cohen in Prague. Of course, the story first appears in the uh, Christopher Steele dossier, and it's very specific what Steele wrote, which is that uh, in August September period, Michael Cohen, Trump's personal lawyer, flies over to Prague to meet with Russian intelligence agencies uh, to discuss the blowback over Russian interference in the election and its efforts to help Trump. And then they discuss actual payments to hackers in Europe who had hacked on behalf of Russian intelligence into obtaining Clinton campaign-related emails, presumably the uh, uh, Podesta emails. And uh, if true, it would be the smoking gun proof of collusion between the Trump campaign and the Russians. That's why so many people want to believe it's true. And then, of course, last week, 
we have the McClatchy report saying that there were foreign intel, Eastern European intelligence reports that had picked up cell phone signals showing that a cell phone traced to Cohen had been uh, bounced off Prague's cell phone towers around the time of the alleged meeting. So that seemed to be some evidence to support the Steele dossier, but there's so many reasons to question it. And starting off from, as we are more than a week into it, nobody else has chased this story. No other news organization has matched the reporting that McClatchy claims to have had. And as you pointed out before, it's it's such a bombshell. It really is kind of a whole ball of wax. This would be conspiring to hack. There is no such crime as collusion, except maybe in the antitrust context. But but uh, the real collusion here would have been a conspiracy to hack into the DNC or other, other emails, the Podesta, the Hillary Clinton emails. And this would be proof that the Trump campaign was involved in that conspiracy. And the idea that kind of bombshell evidence would not by now have come out just strikes me as a little bit hard to believe. And then what you just said, once the report comes out, usually if a report like that is true, someone else is going to confirm it. And by the way, the in the McClatchy reports, and I want to say before we kind of dissect that report, McClatchy does have a real history of reporting well and honorably and truthfully on these really important national security issues. They did it all through the run-up to the Iraq War, really important reporting um, and, and beyond. But I do have some serious questions about the sourcing on this report. The The story itself was fairly vague. It's not clear to me that, that the reporters had actually their own intelligence sources rather than people who had talked to foreign intelligence sources. There are no American intelligence sources cited here. So there's some real, I think, holes here that I think give us reason to be cautious. And look, there are very practical reasons based on the public record that led me to conclude that uh, this story is likely not true, starting with the fact that Michael Cohen was charged by Mueller with lying to the Congress about his efforts on behalf of a Trump Tower Moscow project, which went on longer than he said they had, well into June of 2016. He was charged with the federal crime of lying to Congress about that. But in his same testimony to both the Senate and the House, he flatly denied that he'd ever been to Prague and had any such meeting as described in the dossier. And he was not charged by Mueller for lying about that. But even more so, if the story was true, if the story was true as alleged in the dossier, then Cohen himself would have been charged not just with lying about it, but for the, under, the, for the, the underlying crime. charged with the underlying crime. Absolutely. If you know anything about Robert Mueller, he is a guy who does not look the other way at people who commit federal felonies, as serious federal felonies. And so he would have charged, and there's no question at this moment, by now, they would have been able to trace every minute of every moment of every day of Michael Cohen's travels in the summer of 2016. They know the answer to this question. And if it were true that Cohen had such a meeting and had conspired with Russian agents, he would have been charged with that. It may have been under seal, 
but they never would have gone to sentencing on Cohen, public sentencing, while such a crime was still there. They would have wanted his testimony for any further, any co-conspirators, or for in his final report about Trump's conduct, but they never would have let Cohen be sentenced. So it doesn't make any sense on its face that this story could have been true. But we live in an age where it's harder and harder to debunk these kinds of stories. And actually, this is the last thing I want to say is on the Skullduggery podcast this week, we have Congressman Eric Swalwell, the Democrat from California who sits on the Intelligence Committee. We asked him about this. He expressed caution, but he still... He's still suspicious. He's still suspicious. suspicious. And so it'd be worth for listeners to check out that podcast to listen to what he says. And Mike, you, you know, continue to have your work cut out for yourself debunking Prague conspiracy theories. (laughs) We, We will be on the Prague conspiracy story as long as there is one. So thanks for listening today. Thanks for joining us on this episode of Buried Treasure. Don't forget to subscribe to Skullduggery on Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen to your podcasts. And tell us what you think. Leave a review. Be sure to follow us on social media at Skullduggery Pod. We'll talk to you on Friday.